Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Okay, well, welcome back to Minutes from Latvia, a podcast with me, Mike Collier, and I'm delighted to welcome into my pod, I've realized why it's called a podcast, because we sit in a sort of pod while we're talking, uh, someone I've known for a few years, uh, Dagnia Leinja. Uh, now, Dagnia is, I'm not entirely convinced there's only one of Dagnia, because she always seems to be doing so many projects that I think there could be a sort of whole cloned battalion of you kind of organizing things. Um, rather than me listing your various uh, interests and achievements, perhaps you could just tell us who you are, your background and what you're doing. Uh, thank you, Mike. And hello, everybody. Uh, how much time do I have to describe myself? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you about two minutes. Um, so at the moment, I think I call myself an entrepreneur. But I've been working uh, quite a lot in the banking sector, in the private sector. Before that, also in uh, in the government, I was a press secretary to foreign ministers for a couple of years, and also I have an experience in the NGO sector. But at the moment, what I'm doing is um, I run my own reputation management company, but uh, but I also do a lot of other things, and uh, I'm organizing a lot of events here in Latvia, which gain an international uh, attention. So one of them at the moment is Digital Freedom Festival. It's a global event we organize in Riga on 27. 29th of November and we have an ambition to make Riga the Davos of technology. So for this year we are planning to have 1,000 people from all over the Europe and next year we want to double the size and the, and the amount of uh, attention and people at, uh, attending the event. Well we'll talk about the uh, Digital Freedom Festival a bit more in the second half of the podcast but mentioning global events we just had well it is global in a way, I suppose, event happening here, the so-called 16 plus one summit where the leaders of uh, China and 16 countries in Central and Eastern Europe who don't often like being bracketed together are all bracketed together for the convenience of China. And they discussed over nearly two hours, so it wasn't very long as far as the actual leaders were concerned, sort of economic cooperation and things like that, uh, avoidance of any controversial topics and lots of expressions of how we all hope we can improve uh, relations and economic cooperation. There was also a business forum, which actually was probably a bit more productive than the political side of things. So I did have the pleasure of, I don't know if you saw this, seeing a train roll into Riga station loaded with mysterious uh, cargo, but it had come all the way from the Chinese coast. And this was supposedly proving that this idea that Riga can be a, a, a transport hub to distribute things to Europe from China was kind of sort of feasible and seemed to work that way. But in terms of Riga playing host to these sorts of events, I mean, they always seem to take place at the National Library. Is it just sort of that's the only place where these things can happen? But I mean, in your previous events, you've used some much more imaginative venues like the Ziemelblasma in the north of Riga, which is a, a great location, but you need to have people who are willing to go out of the centre. I mean, is, is Riga, Latvia kind of restricted in where it can hold events? I think it's uh, uh, geographically Riga is perfectly located. Uh, there's also good connections and planes go every day and every hour to each of the European city and it's easy, easily to go to Asia or to United States farther. Uh, in terms of infrastructure, yes, there are some limitations. I would say that 1,000 people is maximum you can host here unless you want to organize it some kind of, I don't know, garage, big, these kind of expo buildings. Uh, so 1,000, yes. I think that uh, organizing conferences, it should... Conferences are 
always consists or these meetings consists of two parts. One is this rational part, program, speakers, all the serious things, talks, uh, speeches, etc., etc. But the other thing is this emotional or this uh, this thing, whatever, that helps people to network, to get to know each other. And I think the venue and the place plays a really important role here. So I think that uh, I think there's a tendency that uh, conference organizers try to avoid uh, to organize uh, these events in a in a, I would say boring hotel rooms, mm. because these hotel rooms they look the same whether it's in Riga or London or New York or, or Hong Kong, and uh, and people try to organize events in the places which also tell the story. It's Self. For example, this year we're organizing our uh, festival in Rig's Latvish Biedriebsnams, Rig Latvian Society House. It's a beautiful building. It's very, it's yeah. very beautiful. And I, but on that hand, I have had so many questions from the people. Are you sure you want to organize a technology event in a such old building? <laughs> right. And I said, no, I think it's really a perfect place because it tells the story that uh, this analog meets the digital or the new meets the old, you know. So we, because with this festival, we also want to challenge this issue on uh, how... The uh, older establishments meet these new technology challenges. So I think this venue plays a perfect uh, role in this story. And uh, and uh, we plan to have 1,000 people. So all these three stories, we are booking it. And um, and yeah, I think that uh, that it's very important. On the other hand, yeah, I said 1,000 is maximum we can, we can host at the mm. moment. There are some ideas and I hope in three years we'll have a new expo centers. But um, otherwise we have Jurmala. Or we have other places we can just organize outside during the summer. Wow, imagine going yeah. somewhere other than Riga. <laughs> exactly. This is revolutionary. <laughs> it is, it is. So maybe, and what we see is also there's these uh, uh, regional concert halls, like in Sesis mm-hmm. and Liepaja and Rezek. So I think this is very important. Because to organize just in Riga, it's very, I would say... It's too uh, too snobbish, mm. and uh, and people also want to have these additional experiences. So I'm very happy that there's these places outside Riga. It's interesting as well. I mean, it seems to me that before the you know crisis hit, kind of 2008 2009, uh, Riga well. Latvia, but Riga mainly, was being touted as a sort of conference venue. But it seemed to be a very much a sort of static, old-fashioned type of conference, where it'd be business conference, or it would be like a medical conference, something like that. With the whole advent of startup scene and this different alternative sort of entrepreneurial culture, it seems that kind of you need to offer something beyond that now. I mean, uh, how is Latvia placed in in, in terms of that, because there's quite this strong Nordic, uh, you know, Finland, Estonia, Sweden, they're all quite into this thing. And you, I get the feeling and you you seem to be one of the driving forces behind Latvia getting on board this sort of attitude as well. In, the, I, in a way, it's kind of good that this sort of old fashioned conferences or the venues weren't provided mm-hmm. to suit them because now the whole culture of it has changed does it not yeah as i, as I said uh, i think the old fashion of organizing conference was this one way communications uh, uh, stream event which means that there's podium on a stage and people are listening and and that's it you know and then there's coffee break you have this mingling and that's it what you have and you exchange uh, business cards and you go, and you go home but uh, but nowadays the whole culture yeah, as i said it all differs because because the conference usually is the excuse or the reason to meet people. Mm. So you have to do everything that makes people comfortable and easy to meet each other. And um, I think this is very important. This is what is changing. For example, this event, Digital Freedom Festival, what we are organizing, we organized it's in also with intentions that there are so many parallel events happening 
Of course, there's big stage and big speeches, but there's also opportunity for people to meet each other in other in other rooms, other lounges. And I think this trend will develop, especially because of all this digital communications that prevails so much. And we spend mm. so much time in in Facebook and in WhatsApps and in um, in emails and Skypes, etc., etc. That that we need so much time to have have this real human conversation type of meetings mm. and these events provide this platform and that's why this networking part is so important and whatever that uh, promotes this two-way communications is is very valuable i think it's very important how how you kind of set these things up as well i remember going to a conference i think it was in parnu in estonia the parnu finance conference this must have been about nine years ago and it was not the most sort of promising thing i thought this is just going to be a small regional thing and not too much exciting happening and it was in a very normal sort of venue and as happens with these things they said well now we're going to have a little bit of entertainment before we get on with the conference and you think okay they're going to wheel in the local folk dancing band or something and you know it'll It'll be very nice, but then everyone is just kind of waiting to start. But what happened was they sent in this troupe of, um, it was like the local dance school. They were all little girls dressed in these like really weird white sort of leotards. They looked like sort of space cadets or something. And they pranced around the stage holding up big signs saying, blah, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> like these speech bubbles. And I just thought this was brilliant because it immediately put everyone on on notice to just, you know, don't just go through the motions. You know, if you're going to do blah, 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 then just forget about it. And because it was these little girls who were presenting this message rather than the uh, master of ceremonies, you kind of took the hint and it was actually turned out to be a very interesting conference. And kind of with that in mind, I wanted to ask you, what what are the sort of the most common mistakes that people make when setting up these conferences? It seems to me one of the most common is there'll be just too many people on a panel. There'll be like eight people and it's a 20-minute panel so everyone just does their pre-prepared two-minute speech and then that's it and you've learned nothing that you couldn't have got from just, you know, clicking on their PowerPoint presentation or whatever. Nowadays, everybody can Google everything, right? So, and so then your question, what is this, what the conference can, what kind of additional value it can give to you? And um, one thing is what you should consider is this attention deficit what people have. And if you just uh, and sometimes I just watch I'm on the on the stage and I see how people react to the speakers and it's so easy to see nowadays that five minutes and if the speakers is not interesting everybody's in their phones yeah. So that's it, you know, and then you can just calculate how many people actually are listening to speech and you pretend that it's kind of exciting and listening because you're on the stage, um, for example, you are the moderator. But I think uh, one, uh, this how culture sh- has changed, I think one, uh, one benchmark is this uh, TED Talks. And you see that 18 minutes is the format which is maximum on the stage. Mm-hmm. And I think that TEDx and TED as a, as a moment has a, a real influence on how people present themselves on the stage. And I think uh, like positive impact and people have learned how to present uh, difficult things uh, in a simple way, how to be attractive. And I think it's a lot about this infotainment. And if I would say what is the success recipe of, uh, of, uh, of the conference and how to present your issue, it's uh, you should be part of the infotainment genre. it's the conference is kind of opener uh, for the subject, uh, and if you want to go dig deeper, you can you know you can find another sources. And unless it's not very 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 professional conference, I think that uh, 15 minutes is maximum what you can get the people's attention. And about these um, about these uh, speeches, I think that uh, good recipes it's a mixture. 
Because really, it's so. Half of the people I'm talking, as they say, oh, I, I just love panel discussions, but and they hate keynotes. Others say, oh, I love keynotes and I, I hate panel discussions. So you have to, mm. it's kind of, uh, you have to kind of, uh, yeah, please both and different kinds of people and the genres because some are very visual and they like their all these you know videos and sounds some people like that they had some bullet points and talk some people just like that they can be very comfortable seated so it's a mixture of everything yeah but i think the most important thing we have what to what to remember is that uh, attention span it's very short you have to have uh, entertainment in between and as you said this example of these girls <laughs> actually this is almost the only thing what you remember from the conference yeah, it right? probably is actually yeah <laughs> but emotions are really really important and also in our event what we are planning and that's why we call it a festival we will have music and we will have some of our speakers who will be who will transform themselves as DJs in the evening and we'll have some startup founders who actually on the say will have a, they will perform as a band in the in the evening so you know you make all these uh, emotional disruptions This is very important. We are just human beings. We're just human beings. It's yes. a nice, profound way to finish the first half of the uh, of the podcast. So we'll just take a break for this uh, jingle to play, and we'll be back with the second half and a bit more about the Digital Freedom Festival and startups in general uh, in a moment after we have considered the fact that we are just humans. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Okay, well, welcome back to Minutes from Latvia with me, Mike Collier, and my guest in the pod today, Dagnia Lejina. Uh, we were just talking about, well, conferences, festivals, how do we call them? They seem to be hybridizing before our eyes, basically ways of sharing information in a hopefully interesting way. You mentioned TED Talks. Now, I like TED Talks. Everyone likes TED Talks. Uh, in principle, I like the fact that it's just someone who knows what they're talking about, talking about it, which in, in a way is a very old-fashioned thing to do. It's like having a trusted lecturer or something. Um, but is there not a bit of a danger? And you kind of, I think you possibly touched on this when you're talking about the speakers turning into DJs in the evening as well, of it kind of all becoming a bit of a parody of itself, a bit of a sort of hipster club. Uh, and, ev you know, everyone starts doing presentations which are a little bit like Steve Jobs. You know, everyone starts wearing roll neck sweaters and uh, everyone starts talking about the same sort of things. Because I notice in Digital Freedom Festival, part, one of the key words is lifestyle. Now, this is quite a dangerous word because it can just seem like, you know, coffee table, bucket lists and all this kind of, you know, stuff. So what is lifestyle as far as the Digital Freedom Festival is concerned? And how do you avoid kind of becoming too obvious startup culture kids? So actually, the intention for this festival was that we want to uh, bring uh, around the same table not only startups, uh, but also the policy makers and the uh, corporations. And because what we see, there's a, such a big gap in between uh, all of them sometimes. And in, in, in if we talk about the technology, it's even much bigger. Uh, if you just ask, I don't know, 
our our uh, MPs and would ask what they do, how would they evaluate uh, their uh, knowledge level, understanding about uh, the technologies and digital, what's happening in the world, I would say that they would rate themselves pretty low. And also the statistics show that maybe 5 to 10 percent of politicians really understand what's happening in, in technologies and, and how digital is shifting our and changing our, uh, our, our world. But about this lifestyle, in this case, uh, for this year, it's more about it's more about uh, format, because as I said, uh, to organize a successful conference, you have to talk, you have to think not only about this rational part of the brain, but also this irrational and this uh, emotional, and that's why we we perceive lifestyle not only in terms of the themes we will discuss, uh, meaning in this case maybe smart cities is one of the subjects we are discussing. This is what what plays here all uh, the most, but it's more about the uh, the format. And by smart cities, you mean sort of uh, like practical changes to yeah, living cities. space? Yeah, smart cities is one yeah. of the themes we are having on, on, on the stage. Our speakers will discuss, but it's more about something that influence also us as human beings. Mm-hmm. So it's not only these uh, big things, corporate things and future states, et cetera, et cetera, but also about how does technology influence us as a human being, as a human beings. But uh, as I told, and you also said in your experience that uh, you remember these emotional moments and that's that is it is it's, it's true and i mean that, that works, you, yeah. that's how you remember yeah. things and that's how memories formed really yeah and there's this um what i think it was japanese saying and uh, my former boss artist publics uh, once told this on a on the stage of the conference of reputation time i think you were there it was two years i was at the ago. first yeah. one yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you were there and what he said that that um, content without a format is half of the victory so it's very important to have this, as I say, that this rational thing, but also this format, how mm. you, you know, how you make this as a big attraction, as a big infotainment. But referring to this issue about um, presentations and TED talks, somehow I tend to agree that sometimes they seem very unificized mm-hmm. in, in where you just you can you and there's so many books uh, already written about how to talk like TED, you know, and what's a good speech, etc., etc. But on the other hand, whatever makes uh, people understand your issue, it's, it's better that it's TED talk rather than it's just bo- boring bullet points. Well, I, I I like to think that I made my I, I recently did a speech to a, a audience of uh, very trendy people who are much more intelligent and successful than myself, and I was aware that they're all going to give these TED talks type presentations which are going to be super slick so i came up with a really brilliant idea of um standing there with lots of pieces of paper and ruffling them uh, pretending that not actually pretending that i was reading and i couldn't remember what i was doing but basically making a point of the fact that i was a complete amateur and i think some of them actually believed that i was pretending to be an amateur which was brilliant because it made it look like it was a superb strategy on my part whereas it was straightforward incompetence so um, at least it was different so in that mm. respect um, it kind of worked and because one of the keywords is uh, on the stage how to be successful is uh, that you should be a storyteller which means that you don't uh, tell the story or let's say you don't tell something that everybody can read in the books or even google so storytelling means that you you tell from your own experience so on one hand, I would say this is the state's influence, you know, mm. how we how we how we present. On the other hand, we all know that storytelling is the most powerful um, technique how to tell your story because it's not something that you can just Google, but it's from your own experience. And this is uh, this is your personal experience. I think this is what makes people interested to listen to you and maybe not to switch to their mobile phones in the first five minutes. Mm. You mentioned that you know you're hoping to bridge this gap between sort of entrepreneurs and policymakers. 
policymakers, and also that these policymakers, even if they're not terribly well educated about what's happening in, say, the startup scene, they do at least seem to be aware that they're not, and they they know that startup is a word that they've heard and which is somehow important. So what is the kind of message we're trying to get across? What is it that's important about startups? I think that uh, startups, it's a lot about uh, entrepreneurship. And I think for me, the, one of the most important drivers for uh, organizing this event is to uh, to drive uh, entrepreneurship, and especially youth entrepreneurship. Usually these are very young, um, young not meeting the age, but uh, young ideas-wise and ambitious-wise. And uh, these people uh, who want to make our world a better place to live. Because usually, and what characterizes startups, it's not only another business-to-business um, solution, but also some kind of technology-driven solution for making a world better place to live uh, this how does it works you know it's in DNA of startup companies in, in, in many cases mm. and it's also um, what we see also in Latvia that it's booming the same uh, as it's in other regions uh, Latvia still lags behind um, Estonia or Lithuania if you look at the figures whether it's uh, the amount of the startups or investment what which has been attracted or people working there but I think this is ju- this is just a matter of time and when we're talking the, with, uh, with the guys in, who are studying universities uh, you would see that most of them are thinking about uh, building their own uh, own company instead of going to an, uh, to work in a corporation. And mm-hmm. I think this is a very interesting shift what we see if to compare with the last, uh, let's say, if I would talk to these guys uh, five years ago. And this is a very uh, great thing what hap- what's happening uh, right now. And one of the ideas of this festival is to make these bridges between these young people, young meaning young people, young ideas, young ambitious uh, visions and uh, this feeling of changing the world. world. But of course... Uh, connecting and bridging it with um, with investors with money and um, smart money usually these ideas don't need even so much money as they need these advices mentorship do you think this is one of the things which particularly appeals to you know officials and government departments and so on is the idea that well for a relatively small investment or a little bit of support you can get kind of big success yeah but it seems to me that there's a bit of a problem with that as well in that perhaps only stellar success is regarded as, as success. And a lot of businesses which uh, were quite sustainable businesses, which are never going to make a lot of money, but are going to keep people employed for many years, you know, kind of old fashioned cottage businesses are kind of regarded somehow as not quite good enough in this sort of thrusting startup culture. Is there, do you think that's a bit of a danger? Uh, I think it does not exclude each other, and uh, still, the, uh, well, I think there'll be business niches also for these kind of traditional businesses. But then you see what's happening in the like echo and you know authenticity and craftsmanship. I think this will mm. remain, and there's a tendency that people more and more more eval- uh, value this um, idea of uh, you know not this manufactured fast fast food or fast uh, products, but they also value this you know something very personal. But of course, there's danger, and many professions will disappear because of uh, because of technology. Mm. And even, uh, let's say, in, even in the banking sector, we see and there's the estimates that 30, 40% of professions and uh, employment, that it will, uh, 30, 40% in Europe and almost the same in the uh, in, uh, United States in the next five years just will disappear. And we see this tendency already now because many professions are replaced by different technology and artificial intelligence solutions and etc. etc. And this uh, convergence machine and human being, it's happening already now. The good thing is that in some people say that maybe it's a good thing because uh, because people will have more time to think and more time to you know be more creative and uh, and call and if if they know how to collaborate with a machine 
then the great things will happen. But I think that we are going through this exponential kind of revolutionary cycle, which uh, it also seems a big danger for us. And it is. There are a lot of threats. Well, the thing that always uh, occurs to me when people are talking about humans and machines getting closer and, you know, we'll end up as these sort of cyborgs is, um, well, okay, that maybe that will happen at some point, but isn't it a good job it didn't happen 10 years ago? Or isn't it a good job it didn't happen 20 years ago? Because we'd all be running around with all mm-hmm. this analog equipment, which wouldn't be very good. So it's kind of, you have to judge at what point <laughs> does, does it become, uh, you have enough faith in the upgrades that you're willing to uh, get bionic, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm uh, maybe I'm a bit biased because, of course, for, uh, I'm, I'm I'm following very closely what's happening in this industry um, because of all this, also this fast one, my latest interest. But uh, some people say that these changes, what we will experience uh, uh, ahead of five years, are the biggest what we have experienced in the last fifty years. Meaning that this change is is happening in, in exponential speed, mm-hmm. and already now we see, for example, just some of the examples. I don't know, three D printing. Yeah, you can print even the what's the English word for this prothese? Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, false limbs. Or, yeah, uh, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's so fast. And I just was visiting, there's a 3, uh, 3D printing, Baltic printing a company here in, in Riga, which is the biggest in the Baltics, and they have, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 printers. And what they say is that uh, right now they're printing uh, not only, for example, they told the story, there's this girl who, who lost her leg, and they printed her leg. And it was so much cheaper, so much faster mm. than it was, uh, for example, for her to go to the to the ambulance, or or they tell that uh, that one of their customers are the um, dentists, and most of the and most of the teeth are actually 3D printed. Wow! <laughs> so you even don't know sometimes, but and it's happening so so fast. And is there any particular area in which you know Latvia is? Strong as far as the, the, this uh, you know, futurology is concerned. What do you think is going to be you know Latvia's future strength? I don't know, and I think this is a big issue also for Latvia to ad- identify because um, if I talk to the startup company people and uh, or the startup association guys or the governments, uh, one of the answers is that Latvia is pretty strong in uh, fintech, financials, and technologies because of uh, our our, our uh, uh, past experience in banking sector and a lot of uh, great talents and knowledge. So this one thing is fintech, but I think the big challenge is maybe to find the niche in some science-based uh, technologies, some something where innovations is very strong. And I think this is something where we should do our homework. And this is a big issue because not always the science um, science um, scientists can really collaborate with those who are um, entrepreneurs. Because these are kind of two different uh, parts of the world, but uh, only success is possible at the, at the moment when they really cooperate. Because scientists are doing their job and entrepreneurs doing their job. So I think this is something what Latvia should be more focused to think about. And finally, uh, something which was brought into focus actually when I saw the 16 plus 1 summit at the weekend. It was completely male-dominated. Mm. Now, I checked the Digital <coughs> Freedom Festival website to see, checked the ratio of women to men, and it was a lot better. It was kind of like 4 to 1, it seemed, amongst the speakers. Uh, are women still underrepresented in the uh, startup sector? 
In uh, technology and startup scene, it's around, uh, statistics varies, but it's around, I don't know, 10 to 20%. Um, but usually in this conference, I think I'm the first who is tweeting or Facebooking if I see that there's these all-male panels, meaning that only male are on the stage. And uh, I made a promise myself for this year, no all-male panels. So <laughs> I was very, very um, eager to make this happen. And uh, and my co-founders, all the Slaters and Jewish layers can assure that the last month I said, okay, guys, let's now focus only on women speakers. So we did it. And in the end, yes, we have uh, women, women in, in all of our themes and e each of our panels. So I think this is very, very big success. Well, thank you very much for joining me in the pod, Dagnia. And I'm proud to say that because you're my fifth guest, three of them have been women and two of them have been men. So <laughs> I'm well ahead of the curve as far as that's concerned. Uh, I'll be back again with another podcast in um, a couple of weeks. Uh, thanks again for joining me. And thank you. Anyone out there who's listening, have a nice time. Bye. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renar Steimans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.